What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Derek did extract our my check. I think I had become in default. Um, so uh, it is good to be with all of you and, and to um, think about our challenges, um, the things that we need to do. And I'm... I don't think I'm an optimist in the sense that I'm a realist. And I believe realistically we can use the powers of our state, local, and federal law enforcement to make America a safer place. And we do not need to drift down the road of higher crime rates, higher uh, uh, murder rates, and more drug deaths and overdose deaths. Those things are can be affected by good, smart policies. And if you don't believe that, you're not going to be very effective. So, but I really believe it. I came in as, in the 1980s and uh, early 80s under Reagan. Uh, the country had been drifting for 20, 30 years of um, higher and higher crime rates. And um, it took 15 years or more, but the trend started going down. Uh, and the uh, murder rate fell half of what it was in 1980. The percentage of high school students using an illegal drug dropped by half. And so we're back on some uh, negative trends recently, and I hope that you will redouble your efforts and recommit yourselves and your offices and lead your states as we intend to do in Washington to reverse that trend. We'll not accept those trends. We cannot accept those trend, trends. Um, Steve Marshall, is he here? My new, yeah, Steve, good to see you. Um, congratulations on uh, being the new Attorney General, relatively new in Alabama. Good work. I don't know if you should tell your staff this, but this is a true story. So I got elected in 94, beat an incumbent, and he was a bad manager and won't go into the details, but we had a huge deficit. We have a balanced budget, you know, you can't spend more than your money, and I already spent the money. And it was, estimated to be a $5 million deficit on something like a $15 million budget. So we fired one-third of the office, I got to tell you. And um, I didn't know what would happen. So I had to decide before I became Attorney General, Steve, and uh, was I going to tell the people that they were not going to have a job before Christmas or after Christmas? That was a big decision. So uh, my predecessor had hired about a third of the office outside the merit system, and so we decided that would be a bright line, so we made that decision. And uh, I think the office did pretty darn well. You know, we did very well. You want to know the truth. Uh, one senior person told me, he said, I hate to admit it, but I'm working harder and enjoying it more. And one of the things we did that was uh, so effective was to utilize our agency attorneys a lot more. They loved it. They, they you know, the to be able to participate in cases in, in a more intense way, and, and they really stepped up and helped us. But I'm sure you can't cut your budgets and staff by a third, but I would suggest 
that if you need a few more lawyers to do a special project you think is important and they tell you it can't be done, I believe, you know, if you force it through, you might be able to get enough, find enough resources in your office to get, get those things done. Pam Bondi, did I see Pam? There you are. Um, well, I thought so been with you, and I know we appreciate you meeting with me in Tampa, as we discussed at the United States Attorney's Office and then in the White House uh, earlier uh, uh, a few days ago to deal with the crisis you're facing. And know we're thinking about you, and, and I know how hard you've been working on it. Um, the day after the tragedy, the president made a commitment to take action not just talk, to do some things. He pointed out that uh, uh, we need results. He ordered us at the Department of Justice to begin uh, to deal with the bump stock issue, the ability of this device that allows a, 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 a semi-automatic rifle to fire on virtually an automatic system. So we've been working on that for some time. We'll have an announcement on that soon. Uh, we believe in that. Uh, and we've had to uh, uh, deal with previous ATF legal opinions. Uh, but our top people in the Department of Je Justice be have believed for some time that uh, uh, we can, uh, through regulatory process, uh, not allow the bump stock to uh, co convert a weapon from semi-automatic to um, fully automatic. Derek, thank you for joining uh, me um, uh, at the Department of Justice uh, a few days ago to announce the largest elder fraud uh, takedown in American history. It was a big deal, I thought, surprised in some ways how much was involved. Uh, we've got victims as all over America Every day, people are being victimized by these sorry, no-good skunks. I just despise this bunch. They're despicable people. Uh, I had a classmate of mine call me from another state. I hadn't seen him in, uh, virtually since our little school we graduated. And um, he had lost virtually his entire retirement plan based on somebody, you know, this IRS scandal. You, I know all of you have probably seen it, uh, but they pretend to be IRS agents. The next thing you know, he's given up a huge amount of his retirement plan, well over $100,000. And, uh, and I talked to him about it and told him it wasn't very much we could do, and it was just silence on the phone. I could just feel the disappointment uh, in his life. Um, we had a lady that it talked to our group when we had the announcement, and she talked about her grand, her mother, um, how uh, she had a grandmother, grandmother who died with $59 left in the bank, and that she had committed suicide because she just did not uh, want to have her family uh, know, really, how much she had been defrauded. It was just a moving story. So I hope that all of us can step this up. You, this is group, um, NAG, has always been strong on these issues. No, we'll have your back. We're going to strengthen our ability to work with you. We have certain interstate and international capabilities that your offices may not have, so partnerships are the way to do that, in my opinion. And these numbers were huge. Um, now, of the 200 or so we indicted, they had defrauded more than 1 million Americans, gotten money from them. 
at a half a billion dollars. Uh, so this is a big crime that we've got to work on, I've got to tell you. Um, and um, uh, we understand at the Department of Justice that 85% of law enforcement is state and local. The president sent us an order. Uh, when I became attorney general, the first day, sent us three orders, actually. The first one was to reduce crime in America. Uh, another one was uh, to uh, back the men and women in blue. Uh, and a third one said, get after these transnational criminal organizations. We embrace all three of those. The first and foremost, I want to tell you, is to reduce crime in America. Uh, we've had 20 or more years of declining crime rates, uh, something that I believe is directly attributable to smart policing. Our police departments are so much better. Our sheriff's departments are better. Our DAs are better. Our attorney generals are better. And we've uh, uh, done a good job, I think, in protecting the public and reducing murder rates by half. Uh, over those years. So then we end up with a situation in which murder popped up again. Homicides went 12, increased 12% in 15, increased another 8% in 16. We think homicides will be up maybe in 17, maybe 1% or so. Not as much, but still up again. We want homicide rates down. We want to see those rates start going down again. That is a firm commitment of this Department of Justice. We're going to work with you. We're going to improve our ability to target violent crime. We're going to get after it in a way that I think will impact actual murder rates in America. Violent crime also went up for two consecutive years. Uh, uh, rapes were up uh, two consecutive years. Assaults were up. And overall, violent crime was up. So we want to see that down. We may even see in 17 a flattening out or a modest reduction in violent crime overall, which I think is good. But I, I think we need to focus on that. Um, in addition to uh, that, uh, our Project Safe Neighborhoods program if some of you are familiar with it, it, it was a cornerstone of the Department of Justice policies a number of years ago. We, we believe, after looking at it hard, that Project Safe Neighborhoods, uh, that idea can make a big difference. That idea uh, uses scientifically proven principles of law enforcement. It, it, it is founded on each United States attorney working with our state and local prosecutors and state attorney generals to develop plans for your state and your communities that better utilize the resources that are there. And if we do that, and if we do as they've done in New York, focus on the uh, alpha criminal, the most dangerous criminals, use good intelligence, focus our resources on those, you can begin to see a decline in crime in any neighborhood, in my opinion. We're going to work with you. That is a requirement of it. 
If your goal is to reduce crime, you've got to use the resources that you have and the basic resources for criminal justice in America is in our states. And I want you to know we fully understand that. Uh, We also believe that the police and sheriffs represent the best of America. They're out there every day committing themselves uh, at risk to themselves uh, to make America safe. We're going to focus on supporting them whenever we can. If they violate the law and they violate civil rights, you can be sure our Department of Justice will be quick to uh, utilize the laws we have to deal with that. And we'll work with you. Maybe you have better laws to deal with that. But we're not going to allow police officers to get out of line and abuse American citizens. But I got to tell you, police officers day after day are serving the American people. And we need them in the poorest neighborhoods. We need them in the neighborhoods where crimes are the highest. And we need to affirm them and affirm their work. And I can feel it when I travel around the state. I'm amazed, the nation, I'm amazed at the sense among our state and local law enforcement that they are being appreciated, a sense that maybe they haven't been appreciated sufficiently in the past. And I think this is a morale boost that many of you may have felt, and I hope you'll keep working at it because we want, we want them to uh, uh, improve in that, that regard. There's some specific things we want to do. Uh, the opioid crisis is uh, beyond imagining, really. I could never have imagined, uh, even when we had a high drug problems uh, years ago in the 80s, that we would have 64,000 deaths arising from uh, opioids, mostly from opioids and other prescription and other drugs too. But this is an unaccountable, unacceptable number. We cannot allow it to happen. And there are a lot of things that we can do. We're going to be talking this afternoon uh, with a number of you um, uh, to announce our efforts against opioid some of which we've already initiated. We have an opioid coordinator in every United States attorney's office. Uh, We're going to have a national coordinator. Uh, We've uh, increased uh, uh, agents and prosecutors around the country on opioid issues. We believe that the opioid situation is uh, impacted dramatically by prescription abuse, and that includes uh, aggressive action on drug companies who are violating the law and not following the right procedures. It means that we're going to be looking at doctors uh, who are over-prescribing, some dramatically so. It's stunning, really. Probably in most of your states, you, you may have seen doctor prosecutions. We had the largest health care fraud uh, takedown this past summer in history, and the number of doctors uh, charged, I think, was 50. 50 doctors charged every week, it seems like. We have another professional being charged for uh, facilitating the distribution of prescription drugs, which DEA tells us leads to addiction, which leads to heroin and fentanyl, and too often death. That's just the way it's been happening. So we believe that reducing the fentanyl 
uh, reducing the prescription drug deaths in America uh, is uh, possible. I think there was an 11% reduction in overall prescription of opioids uh, in the last two years. So it's beginning to turn down, but we, as you know, are far and away the, the, the nation with the most prescription opioids. We also far and away the most opium, op, uh, op, uh, opioid addictions. So I'm worried about that. We're going to drive those numbers down again this year. I am confident. Our goal is to see less prescriptions out there of opioids. Our goal is to see less deaths this year uh, than last year. That's what the president expects of us. That's what the American people expects of us. And we intend to try to get there. Uh, in our um, coordinated efforts, we've uh, had thousands of cases. Another thing we've discovered, at least I've discovered, maybe you knew, is what a large number of fentanyl and other drug uh, 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 illegal drug activities are occurred over the dark net. So we did the Alpha Bay takedown, which was the largest dark net takedown in history um, a few months ago. It hosted 220,000 sites. So 220,000 drug dealers put up their uh, ads and people can get on that Alpha Bay dark website, order those uh, drugs, sent through the mail to them. They don't have to go out and deal with some local drug dealer. They can just order it through the mail. And 12,000, I believe, were fentanyl sites. And who knows what the percentage of the fentanyl is in those pills that they take. So we're, we're going to focus hard on that. The FBI is doubling its number of agents focused on identifying those sites early so that we can not allow them to get this large. This was the largest, we believe, in the world, and uh, it has been totally ended. Uh, it was responsible, for example, of a teenager in Utah ordering drugs off the site, giving them some to a 13-year-old, not knowing what they were, he took an overdose and died. So this is the kind of thing that uh, is too often happening in our, in our country. Um, uh, so we, um, to, to find more of the opioid dealers and more evidence, uh, I've created the Opioid Fraud and Abuse Detection Unit back in August. It uses data analytics to find, find the outliers. And some of these doctors' numbers are stunning if you've seen them. And DEA is working hard on this. Uh, we can determine what doctors are prescribing the most drugs, who's dispensing the most drugs, and whose patients are dying the most. I have a preliminary indication recently that one doctor, in, in, in not over a very long period of time, may be responsible for the death of several hundred people from overprescribing of these um, drugs. I've also assigned a dozen experienced prosecutors in opioid hotspots, key districts around the country, to focus solely on investigating and prosecuting uh, opioid-related fraud. And they work with the DEA and the FBI 
Department of Health and Human Services is also partnering with us, as well as state and local offices to target the doctors, the pharmacies, the medical providers who are exploiting this epidemic and actually making millions of dollars, many of them. And we're issuing indictments in now and will continue to do so. I think we can actually reduce significantly the amount of opioid on, and drugs, prescription drugs, on our streets. Uh, we also announced uh, uh, this month the Operation J-Code, Joint Criminal Opioid Dark Net Enforcement Team. They'll be contacting and working with our state and local uh, officials, but it has the DEA, our Safe Streets Task Forces, our Drug Trafficking Task Forces, Healthcare Fraud Special Agents, and other assets, and the FBI uh, will be coordinating that, and we'll be dedicating whatever resources are necessary but we're going to at least double the FBI uh, activities right now. I'm proud of them and the leadership they are providing. Uh, DEA earlier this month uh, placed the illicit fentanyl analogs that were not technically being covered by our uh, Schedule One Controlled Substances Act into Schedule One. We think this will work, uh, so it will eliminate some of the difficulties we may be having for slightly different chemical makeups of fentanyl. It will be harder for people to acquire it and easier for us to prosecute. Later today, we'll be announcing some of the new steps we'll be taking, steps I believe will help you and all of us. And when we enforce the law and we deter crime, and we can deter this crime, laws are, when they're ignored, uh, re words are redefined uh, and selectively carried out, it disrespects law. We want people to respect law and to honor law. Under President Trump's leadership, we've been working to restore the rule of law in our immigration system. The American people want something, I think, very simple. Politicians have failed to give it to them. It's time for us to do it. They want a lawful system of immigration that they can be proud of and that serves the national interest. That's what I've always advocated for. I've seen it, that. I, I'm more convinced than ever that's a moral and decent and right thing. You're either going to have open borders or you're going to have limitations on immigration and you have to enforce them. It makes a mockery of law, sends mixed messages if the United States government is not able to uh, carry out the laws that it sets. And we can do it. This is not impossible. We're on the path to do this. I hope so much that Congress will get the message and somehow we get a breakthrough. So my goal is simple, a lawful system that serves the national interest. And the president has said he's willing to work with Congress in a generous way to deal with the DACA uh, situation. But until, but we have to have as part of that some legislation that closes some of the loopholes in the law that's impacting our ability, the ICE officers and the Border Patrol officers' ability to make the law work. And we've got court rulings and consent decrees that are maddening, that are just terribly frustrating. We need to fix those things. Let's put this behind us. 
People will, the tension that's out there, the frustration that's out there will go away. Our respect and ability to work with immigrants will improve dramatically if we end this lawlessness. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So I would hope that you will be partners with it. And it's deeply frustrating to have sanctuaries, jurisdictions, and, and cities just basically say, we will not do it. We're going to help undermine the rule of law. We, don't, we believe in open borders, basically. Somebody comes into the country illegally last week, and they're caught in some city 2,000 miles away. Are they not to be deported if caught? I mean, what kind of policy could that be for a great nation? So it can't be the law. So that's where we are on it. I think there's an opportunity for us to get this done. I'm hoping Congress can somehow work it out. Uh, We're open to compromise and reasonable efforts, but it's got to end the lawlessness. And we need to shift our policy more uh, to an immigration flow like Canada. I have long believed, and the president is articulating, that uh, enhances the ability to bring in more people who already speak English, who have educational levels, who we can identify as likely to really flourish in America. That has the uh, potential, I think, to be a good policy for us. Uh, And we had this, you know, the judge on the DACA deal. So the former administration uh, issued the DACA order that gave persons here unlawfully the right to work, the right to uh, live in the country indefinitely, and and the right to participate in Social Security and, and those kind of things. And the president had previously said, he didn't have the power to do that. So when the Department of Homeland Security uh, withdrew it, we get sued. Saying this policy that was issued by a policy directive of Homeland Security couldn't be withdrawn by a policy action by the Department of Homeland Security. So we're working on that. I am confident we're going to prevail ultimately on it, and we're going to continue to work at that. Yesterday, the Second Circuit ruled that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, bans discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. We gave a lot of thought to this. Um, I'm aware of of the uh, feelings about it. Let me just share share with you why I think uh, we did the right uh, thing. The Department of Justice took the same position in this case as it always had. It deals uh, with uh, um, sexual orientation uh, question. Uh, It has been the department's position under the previous administration, and it it, uh, remains that position. It's the same position upheld by nine circuit courts. In ruling against us yesterday, the Second Circuit reversed its own previous ruling. Uh, so we're going to contend. Uh, we, we believe we're on the right principle there that uh, I guess maybe the judges woke up that morning, read the New York Times or something, and decided their previous ruling was wrong, uh, whatever that caused them to do so. But we believe that that was the right legal decision, and we'll we continue to defend it. We're also going to defend the president's so-called travel ban taking it all the way to the Supreme Court. 
under federal statute 18 8 USC 1182 F the president has the explicit authority to stop immigration from any country uh, if he deems it to be in the national interest to do so uh, that's in statute but the plaintiffs and lawyers have judge shopped around the country and uh, are trying to get favorable outcomes and have found some. One judge blocked the entire federal government from carrying out its lawful duties, uh, but that injunction, fortunately, was stayed by a 72 vote of the Supreme Court. And we expect that we're going to win on the merits in the Supreme Court, too. Nationwide injunctions like the one in that case are a growing problem for the country. You have the duty to represent your states, the executive branches of your states. The judicial branch is not superior to the uh, executive branch. We're co-equal branches. Certain powers are devolved on the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. And so in the past year, we've had 20 nationwide injunctions. In the first 175 years of American history, zero. None before the 1960s. Uh, we've had 20 in one year. That's as many as President Obama had in eight years, and more than any president in history. This is a serious matter of, of co-equal branches. I mean, who gets to set the power about travel? Who gets to set immigration policy, for example? So I just would say to you, we're giving, we're not acting irrationally, emotionally. We are, we are uh, uh, carrying out the responsibilities, I believe, that are, are the duties of the executive branch of this government. And we're going to defend these uh, powers in court. And to not defend them could, be a, can, could yield into an excessive view of judicial superiority. So we respect the courts. We're working with the courts. We've had the Supreme Court three times in the last several months overrule uh, uh, state court overreach. It's terrible to have to do that. We had one of my top deputies in deposition, and we had to file an emergency appeal to the uh, Supreme Court, and they mandamus us, and they issued it two hours into his deposition and stopped it. We don't, I mean, something is, you know, thank goodness the Supreme Court was willing to hear that. Uh, and this appeal that they didn't go with us yesterday was another effort to, to defend the executive branch's ability to carry out proper uh, legal actions, in my opinion. And uh, they just simply said, we're going to, we bypassed the circuit, Ninth Circuit, and went straight to the Supreme Court. And they said, uh, no, we're not going to intervene in the process in this matter and that we're going to. Uh, but they did tell the circuit to move expeditiously because that injunction by a single federal district judge was stopping, I believe, the lawful operations of the United States government. And the Supreme Court said, okay, we're not going to extraordinarily intervene, but uh, Ninth Circuit get on with this and issue an opinion, which then, uh, if it's not, if we don't believe it's correct, of course, we'll take an appeal to the Supreme Court.
Uh, well, um, thank you for the opportunity to serve in this office. Um, I appreciate the president's uh, allowing me to do so and asking me to do so. It is a challenge every day. I have found it to be more, what shall I say, more comfortable in a lot of the issues than I thought. Um, At 20 years on the Judiciary Committee with oversight of the Department of Justice, 15 years in the Department of Justice as an AUSA and U.S. attorney for 12. So I feel pretty good about it, although there are a lot of things out there that are happening. I've come to a number of conclusions that we need consistency in the law. We need to work with our state and local partners. We want to work with you. We believe that it cannot be that the words of statutes can just be changed willy-nilly to achieve some policy goal. We believe that words have meaning. And if you respect the Constitution and respect the laws of this country, You'll read the words plainly and fairly as they were meant when they were passed, and that's what you enforce. That's very simple, and I believe in it. I believe that it's my duty to um, um, conduct myself and carry out my leadership of the Department of Justice in a way that uh, can be respected for years to come, to try to restore Um, respect for fundamental law and not to allow the department to be just a political advance arm to advance an agenda. Uh, But I do recognize that uh, different chief executives and attorney generals have different priorities. We're prioritizing crime and criminal justice enforcement. We're coming after the MS-13. We want to hammer them. If you will find those cases, I hope you'll bring, bring them to us and if we can work together with you. We believe that the fentanyl is a death-dealing drugs of unprecedented proportions, and we ought to prosecute those cases. Pam, we were uh, in uh, Tampa, and, and the sheriff of Manatee County in the AUSA there told us how they dropped 90% fentanyl deaths by prosecuting every single case that they could find in that county. They had this surge of deaths. They they were shocked at what had happened. But that was a partnership between federal and state. So I believe effective targeted law enforcement can change crime policies and overdose deaths, really, uh, that occur. So Thank you all for allowing me to be with you. Thank you for the uh, support you've given us. Uh, Derek, thank you for your friendship and leadership. I know we'll be meeting with a number of you today to talk more about opioids and announcing some things. We're going after this. I hope you feel, feel the same way about it. Bring, bring your state and local DAs and police and sheriffs on board, too. We get ourselves focused. We go after this crime situation. You'll be able to say crime went down in your states, and, and I believe we can say we're going to bring down crime in America. Thank you all. God bless.